0: Hello and welcome to the Ski Podcast, a podcast all about skiing. Um, this is the Ski Podcast and it is p- uh, partnered with Switzerland Tourism, home of wonderful sounding ski resorts like Engelberg, Adelboden and Gstad. Um Did you know Ian, 65 Alpine World... Pi- uh, <laughs> 65 Alpine World... Pine is good. Um, did you know 65 Alpine World Champions have come from Switzerland, which is incredible considering they've only got 84. 8.5 million people in their country. That's impressive. Um, in today's show, we're going to talk about skiing. Uh, maybe one of us will have been skiing. Who knows? We have uh, an update on Timberline, more from the TV show Ski A&E, and Shemi Olcott will be chatting to us again. Don't forget to subscribe when you have finished listening to this. You can email the, the show at jim at com or ian at com. If you've got a good story or you want to talk about what your company does within the ski industry do get in touch on those emails or find us on twitter at the ski podcast i am jim duncombe and the next voice you'll will hear will be ian martins ian how did you think my pronunciation went of those ski resorts
1: i think most of them went pretty well but the only one i'm not really sure about is gistad 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 because Gstaad. Um, You know, we obviously, we mentioned uh, gestad a little while ago and, um, well, Sarah Roloff uh, from Switzerland Tourism did send in, did send us a little message uh, saying that we were pronouncing it slightly wrong.
2: How you say it? Gestad. How we say it? Gestad.
0: Gestad. I still don't think I've got it right, to be honest, Ian.
1: It's like a silent G as far as I can see. But it's Gustav. a really like not wholly silent, but just like mainly silent. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm kind of the opinion if I know where I'm going and I've got there, you know, <laughs> well done me.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, it doesn't make it doesn't make me not want to go to Gstaad, but Zermatt sounds so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> yep,
0: Boden That's my favourite. It's like plum. Plum's a really cool word as well, isn't it? Plum.
1: Is that a Swiss ski resort?
0: No, it's a, it's a soft fruit uh, available from many good freight and veg shops at certain times of the year.
1: Well, we know how to say it now. Um, also good. in Swiss news, and um, I noticed that obviously with my ski flight-free head on, I'm always you know interested in encouraging people to take the train out to ski resort. You know that doesn't always work for everyone. I get that, but I did notice that uh, you know if you are flying, uh, obviously in Switzerland they've got a really good rail network. And I was reading about Flugzug, which translates as air train uh, rail services. Uh, Did you see this story? You definitely
0: pronounced that right. You (laughs) you definitely pronounced Flugzug correctly. It's
1: probably Flugzug. Flugzug.
0: I I haven't seen this story. I was aware that if you fly, you can get your ticket incorporated. Is it something like that?
1: Yeah, exactly. The the Flugzug rail services. It's a deal between Swiss... Uh, airlines and the Swiss Federal Railways, uh, who are, for some reason, SBB, it must be Swiss Bahnhof, something or other. Uh, but yeah, you can, you can get these tickets uh, together and just make it a lot easier for you to get your transfer on from Zurich uh, onto your resort. And they're focusing mainly on, uh, well, key resorts, Andermatt, uh, Zermatt, Interlaken, which is where you'd go if you wanted to go and ski Vengen and uh, Grindelwald, uh, uh, etc. So uh, you know, one of the reasons behind it is to uh, you know help people reduce their uh, emissions when they can. But you know, traveling by train in Switzerland is like, just like a gimme. It's so good. I'm I'm going out in March and I will be traveling by train. I'm going to do it like a two-center thing to Rosa and Andermat, and the whole lot will be uh, by train. And you know, it's just beautiful. Apart from anything else, and you know, everything's going to run on time. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, and it's a really good rail network. I mean, I don't think I need to go any further into Swiss Rail. I was going to start telling you about trains from Geneva to Zurich and stuff like that, but I'm not going to, Ian. It's just a very good rail system, and it goes to lots of results. Um, I'm going to say, last week I was last time you spoke, I was meant to be going to Sassfay, but due to huge amounts of snow, I failed to go, which was a shame. It was the first time I was going to use my Magic Pass. Right. Well, I'm confident, Ian, that... By the time um, I edit this podcast and I put it out, I will have been skiing in Val Thorens tomorrow. Here's my report from that. And I was right to be confident. I am sat in my car after a great day of skiing. What a way, what a way to start the season, people. Um, I've never been November skiing before, so I was really keen to find out um, what it was like. And do you know what? I've been really really pleased with it um this is how my days kind of played out so i turned up in resort sorted out my lift pass, and i parked in a car park got on the run and the first thing we pretty much did was um find a few powder fresh powder runs um which is a a bonus for a for the seven uh, for the the beginning of november um i mean it was quite strenuous because i had no warm-up it was literally there's some powder let's go ski it um I think the, the then towards the afternoon, I spent most of my time on the Piste, and the Piste condition has been great. I'd say about 50% um, of uh, the lifts, maybe more open. Um, it's hard to judge and really bad at percentages. Um, my favourite run I found is uh, at the top of the Peclet, um cable car, and uh, the run down is the Beuranger, I think. I think I came down the Lac Blanc and then onto the Beuranger. Back down to the Pecklet to, to go around again. So really good. Um the, the worst run of the day is always the last run often. I didn't really need to do it. But to get back into town, I did. So I went up a uh, something called the Plen Sud uh, and came back down. Uh, also called the, the Plen Sud, a blue run that runs from the Folly Deuce. Um I mean, it was flat light. It was artificial snow. It was icy. It was jam-packed. Everything a last run should be. Um At 2,300 metres, it's a really high resort. Um, It's the highest in the world, I think. Uh, And it was built to be practical, and it's not built to be beautiful. The whole place is ski-in, ski-out. Um which is great you know if you if that's what you're after ski and ski out it was really really straightforward um i could ski from the car park um or if you know if you stay for longer you could obviously ski from whichever apartment or chalet you book into um three things i really like about the resort i love the lift pass purchase system and um, obviously they've got a ticket uh office like any other place but also you know Inside the ski uh, car park, there was a ticket office so I can pick up my uh, pass there and just get straight on the slopes. Um, there were ticket booths at the bottom of lower slopes, So, you know, if you haven't purchased it, you can ski down and get it right by the, the lift pass. Um. The second thing I love, the the lift infrastructure was brilliant. Um, I think it was on the Peclet again. I, I did go on other other lifts, but the Pecklet had fold-down chairs. So they were either up or down, you know, like a cinema. Um, I think that was really good. Some of the lifts have dual queuing, the chair lifts do, so... Um, there was a magical moment when I was queuing up and the queue was, you know, I mean, wasn't excessively big, but it was big. And I came in, and was right at the back and there was one barrier going for the, the lifts. And then the guy came and opened the the rope and allowed the people at the back to get onto the front of the queue on the second um, turnstile area. It was like that moment when they open a new till at Lidl. It was amazing. And of course, the other third, the third thing I really enjoyed about was the runs. They, they are really good runs. I mean, high up, there's no tree runs. They're, you know, it's quite open in that sort of respect. Barren almost. But they're really well looked after. They're really good. Um, there's a good variety of blues. And there's a lot of really uh, interesting and challenging reds to to be done. Um, and then don't forget, that mid-December, this becomes part of the, 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 the massive Three Valleys. But it is a November ski trip. And I wanted to try it. And... Do you know what, I was pretty good. This is this is a built as a snowshore resort, and uh, you get the same conditions as similar to I've had, then yes, I mean a November ski trip. is worth it. Do it. Um like yeah, this snow was really good. It was grippy, it was fresh, when it was groomed, it was amazing and it was it was soft, it wasn't Anything like what I thought it was going to be. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously the resort is quiet, which is uh, you know good for the skiing and good on piste. But you know, if you're after a bit of a buzzing après ski, it may be lacking at this time of the year. But you know, if you fancy a, a short break or a week, you know why not? It's not that far from the airport. Tentatively, and I'm going to say I had a lovely time, and I even had a nice um, lunch at the Valteren Club Med.
1: Did you? Excellent. <laughs>
0: I mean, I may not have done. We'll we'll see in the in the report. But that's what we're going to be. That's what might, might have happened. But I'm sure I will have a lovely ski, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I had a lovely time.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm anticipating you've probably skied lots of uh, great powder as well, because it's snowing as we speak uh, over there in the Three Valleys.
0: Yeah. Oh, do you, I tell you what? I, want, I did want to talk tell you um, about an interesting phenomenon that happened the other day. If I can okay. say that word correctly yeah. so um it snowed quite heavily and the temperature dropped um when we literally when we called, recorded the last podcast and in my garden thousand meters is approximately where i am there was about um you know compacted there was about two inches in my garden of snow and it stayed there for a long time and then i went to bed and the wind picked up and the temperature re- uh, increased to 12 i think about 12 13 degrees overnight and that was enough with the wind just to whisk the whole... There was not a single patch of snow left. Um, it was an incredible experience when I woke yeah. up this morning because, you know, it was a lot of snow. That is the uh,
1: the phone wind, isn't it? Is that right? The wall wind. Uh, I don't know. Or the wall uh, Yeah. That's one of those... I've got um, a Frank
0: Sinatra song stuck in my head now.
1: Bits of alp um alpine law that you need to uh to get to grips with that and your onions in the I'll take it you grow onions in your garden right
0: yeah string them around my neck and cycle round on a push bike yeah the well I'm I was more thinking
1: about you know when the onions have an extra layer it's going to be a really good winter isn't it because it's going to be a really cold oh, winter right. that's one of those um apocryphal stories about how you can predict whether it's going to be a good winter or not and but also, that...
0: apparently, if you try and grow runner beans and only one comes out the entire summer, it's going to be a brilliant winter as well. <laughs> did that <And> I, happen? <laughs> I can... Yeah, that, that absolutely did. Right,
1: OK. Uh, you mentioned Club Med. Are you going to go to uh, v, uh, Club Med in, in Val Uh I noticed a story that... about Club Med uh, this week. They've done a deal with the, uh, um, the ESF, Ecole uh, de Ski Francais, and they're going to open two new ski schools in China. Um, which uh, seems quite prescient. You've got the Winter Olympics coming up there in uh, 2022 uh, in Peking, and they're going to be opening these new ski schools, so they're really kind of, well, focusing on the only, maybe not the only growing market, but the fastest growing market in ski uh, in the world. Uh, Did you see that one at all? How,
0: How come the ESF are allowed to open a ski school in China?
1: You mean like the Ecole uh, de Ski Chinois uh, 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 not preventing oh, yeah. them from doing it?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, there's no racketeering. But that's, um, that's just me being cynical. Um, I did see it, I think, you know, um, more people again, there's more people skiing in China. Um, I do a few um, bits and pieces for a couple of um, uh, ski instructor courses and. We get a lot of um, correspondence from ski schools and places in China. Club Med is a big recruiter, and it has been, and this obviously grows more so of um, you know uh, people who have done their Basi level twos. Lots of people go to China to go and teach skiing, so um, it makes it it's a sensible thing to do, I suppose.
1: Yeah, for sure. And actually, Club Med are owned by a Chinese company, uh, Fosun. Um, who actually had a big stake in Thomas Cook uh, as well but I'm sure that's uh, why they've got uh, you know strong links with China as well I think they've already got at least one maybe two villages yeah they've got two villages um, in uh, China already and these are the ski resorts that are solely made out of um, uh,
0: artificial snow aren't they
1: Well, I'm not sure necessarily they, okay, yeah, there are, most of the skiing in China is artificial snow, and that stat, I think we discussed this before when we talked about the rise of skiing in China, about how, um, even though you read these figures about there's hundreds of new ski resorts opening every year in China, most of those are just magic carpet ski resorts, but it's true that uh, most of it is artificial snow, and I'm pretty sure that when we come to the Winter Olympics 2022, because um, Peking, Beijing <laughs> is nowhere near uh, you know, proper ski areas that it will be all really hard packed uh, artificial snow, a bit like the situation in Pyeongchang which, which is great for racing on if you're alpine but not great if you're one of the people who is in freestyle and flying through the air.
0: Magic, interesting stuff, well um, maybe we'll go to China and see what it's like oh. um, Ian do you, want a, do you want a Verbier ski report from um, a friend of the show Dave Burrows
1: Absolutely yeah
3: Hello, Jim uh, and Ian. I uh, hope you're well. It's Dave Burroughs from Snow Pro Ski School here. I am giving you a snow report. Uh, today I am on uh, at Le Diableret, uh, Glacier 3000. Um, it's just opened up. That, in fact, it's open for most of November. But the snow up here, I'm telling you, is out of this world. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, there's no one up here. Um, I'm up here on a, a professional development day with uh, the British Association of... Uh, ski instructors and uh, i'm having a brilliant day i've got brand new skis uh and brand new boots and the snow is great um it's brilliant um it's a little bit cloudy but there are some bright spots and there's a bit of sunshine here and there there is a number of lifts open so there's a bunch of drag lifts and a chair lift up here and there's a cable car that takes you from the col de pion uh, up here to uh up here to the top of the glacier at diablo about 3000 meters so it's absolutely brilliant up here um I thought I'd also give you the info so last weekend I went to Verbier uh, Verbier is open on weekends now as well um, I think they normally open up during the week uh, start of December but um, but certainly the conditions in Verbier were brilliant uh, last weekend um, you could go all the way up to the top to Lac de Vaux uh, so the Olympic lift about 2,700 metres and you could ski all the way down to Ruinette which is about 2,2,2 so there's about 500 metres of vertical to ski there Peace are in great condition loads of people having uh uh having a great time um minimal kind of pre-season kind of stones of rocks sort of showing through the piece as well so uh, and they were pumping snow massively so they're uh they're taking advantage of the cold cold weather that we've got right now so uh there you go little snow report from uh from Switzerland um get yourself out here conditions are absolutely sensational um yeah it looks like we're gonna have a great season so uh so yeah hope you both are well see you soon bye
0: There we go, so Dave's been skiing in Berbier quite a bit. Um, It's been open at weekends, so um, beating quite a few ski resorts to opening day, really.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I know on the uh, 23rd, uh, which is just before we recorded last, uh, we had Outdoors and Valterens, you know, both opening uh, at the same time. But in fact, those high winds, or the winds that you were talking about, meant that uh, the opening was extremely limited, although they had snow, and there's snow high up. It didn't happen, but there's a few places in the Pyrenees are opening this weekend. I think in general, Avoriaz is opening a couple of weeks early. You know, the situation is certainly, certainly positive.
0: It's impressive numbers as well about how, um, uh, I've sat here trying not to move very much. I'm sat on a really squeaky chair. Um, uh, it's impressive, the numbers. Um, I saw for Valtoren the opening weekend, So, like 15,000 people went skiing, which you wouldn't really... No one associates that sort of number to the, to the first week of the season, do they?
1: Well, it's impressive if you read it. It's probably not so impressive if you were there. I think, you know, Valtoren's, if it has a weakness, you know, it's the highest ski resort in, in Europe, but uh, it can get very busy uh, up on the piece there, particularly around the kind of uh, the centre. And as they didn't have the full area, I think they had 60% of the lifts open then I don't know I read a couple of reports suggests it's just a you know a little too busy
0: well I was hoping to try my um new skis tomorrow but I don't think I'll need them because uh it's going to be quite fluffy snow in Valteran let's um talk more about Valteran well I'm not going to you're going to talk to someone else about Valteran what's this interview Ian
1: uh, well, I think if a uh, listener, if you listen to our last episode, you will know that, no, um, <laughs> all our listeners, you know, subscribe to the podcast to make sure they don't miss a single episode. And, uh, in the previous episode, number 43, I interviewed the guys from, uh, who have created this new program called Ski A&E, which is actually starting now on the 9th of December. I'm very excited. I've got the DVR, uh, set up to record and, uh, Talk to them a little bit more about that uh, filming of that programme in Valtorins. Uh Hi, I'm here with uh, Sean Doherty, uh, who is the series producer of Ski A&E. We uh, discussed it in a previous uh, episode, but there was just so much to cover. <laughs> I wanted to go back and try and you know, find out a little bit more from you, Sean, about, about how it went, if that's OK. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, we actually talked uh, kind of off air as such about the uh, series and it just sounds so interesting. Um, you said to me that, uh, you know, the way the programs are themed, they're themed around different areas, one of which was uh, the, the kind of avalanche protection side of things.
4: Yes. Well, every episode, um, when we were out there, we were covering such a variety of stories. I mean, medical stories aside, they, were, they all came about through, through different, uh, in different ways. So we thought we would theme each program. Uh, where we cover the medical stories and also the, the sort of background to, in, to the resort. Um, so one of the one of the episodes is, is avalanche based. So we we ended up uh, flying in a helicopter up to the top of the mountains with a, a, a lot of dynamite, throwing that off the side and setting off <laughs> All right. setting off some avalanches. We followed the guys who have the dogs who. Um, once a month, we'll have a exercise uh, where they bury people under under three or four meters of snow and get the dogs to uh, to, to find them. Um, is, I've
1: got to say, this doesn't really sound like work. It just sounds like great fun. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping well, down out of a helicopter? Did they well, let
4: you do that? Well, well, the very strict uh, protocols surrounding it, but we, the, these guys have been doing it for years. Um, so, the, the, you know, we, we we weren't allowed fifty meters. Uh, within fifty meters of when they were setting the dynamite off right
1: okay. and obviously
4: one one ski patroller, one pistol would carry the detonators, as the other would carry the dynamite, and uh, we made sure they skied apart as we went right. as we went okay. down but uh
1: and, and with the dogs, so therefore they what had they actually got a, a human kind of under the snow i mean what were they what were they you, to
4: yeah, you would get a big snow cat. Uh you'd 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 find a, a place off piece where, where no one would be, you get a snow cat, you would big you'd build enormous mounds of snow and then put be bury them uh you'd have bury little tunnels so that the uh volunteers, you'd have four or five volunteers who would then be buried under the under the snow. Then they would bring the dogs in and the dogs would be right. given just a few minutes to find them because it's vital that when you are in an avalanche situation, that you found very quickly because you only have a few minutes before of course, the, of course. the air runs out.
1: And that, I mean, you know, that just must be so. You know, obviously, that's just in a trial environment, but it must be so exciting to see that you know happening, uh, you know, live as such.
4: It was in, it was incredible. It was incredible. And these dogs are fantastic. I mean, they they found five people. I think it was within six minutes.
1: Yeah, um, across a two hundred and fifty meter area. Yeah, and they obviously practice it on a regular basis because you were out there in. This was during when you're out there. What in January and February Jan- were you there?
4: Yes, we were there. We were a week before Christmas and then seven weeks after uh, Jan- yeah. January and February. And it was in the, it was towards the end of January when uh, when we when we did that.
1: Right. And I think you were also out in uh, in Valtaren's in Resort when the scene, the Carol lift broke down, is that right? That's right. Yes, there's about
4: hundred and twenty people on board. Uh ironically we were just been filming uh with the, the boss of Setam and he told us that in the sixteen years he'd been out there that I think there'd only been two lift emergency rescues in all that really? time. Okay. And then later that afternoon the SimCaron lift actually broke down. Um, so it was uh, it, it was interesting to see I mean immediately you had a hundred people on the ground um, from all parts of the resort where you, you because I, I was, a lot of people I talk to have been, have been skiing um, probably not aware of the different groups and institutes and, and, and uh, emergency services that are out there operating together so you've got the Setam lift guys who are all Um, uh, trained in emergency rescue you've got the ski patrollers as well you've got the ambulance drivers and the medical center and they're all working together so when there is and the gendarmerie as well so when there is an emergency all of these units end up coming together and working as one to to get people to safety and it was incredible to see you had uh, helicopters flying in Um, All the ski patrollers were were, were told to get to the top and bottom of the Simcaron lift to to help. And um, within, I think it was about half an hour of the lift breaking down, they had a plan to get everybody rescued off with helicopters. But in the end, the lift guys managed to get it working again and managed to get everyone to the top. Right, okay. uh, So...
1: But you know, you were there for a moment of of, of high drama. I think some of the accidents uh, that you came across, you know, working with the ski patrol, were a bit more, you know, banal and that, and and uh, possibly driven by people underestimating, no, overestimating, excuse me, their own abilities. Right.
4: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, we'd themed the programs, and, and one of the one of the, the themes is speed and how people are. Like you said, are basically not experienced enough to go at the speeds that they can go at, and with the 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 pistes being bashed and good conditions, the skis are, are are very quick and fast, and they are traveling beyond their capabilities. Uh, they use the apps now to get personal bests, and the ski patrol guys are saying, you know, these things are, these things can cause accidents because you've got guys out there
1: who are just trying to. Get their personal best, and they end up. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, anecdotally, you hear that kind of thing the whole time. You know, people have uh, an app that registers your uh, top speed during the day or number of kilometers covered, and they like to go home and I don't know if it's boasting or whatever, but let's say compare with their friends. You know, how fast did I go uh, today? And and people, you know, often typically ski too fast for their ability, and, and I guess. Did you come across anyone kind of taking on slopes that were just beyond their ability level?
4: Well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we have one of the themes is changeover day because on day one, uh, the ski patrollers and the medical centre are on high alert because they know that that's the most likely day when people who haven't skied before or are just trying to get their ski legs back, you know, they they ski once a year and they get on the slopes and they remember how they used to ski last year down blacks and reds. Mm And they try and emulate that, and they, they, they still haven't got the the, the, the muscle, uh, yeah. the muscle to do that. And they end up in the medical centre. One guy, Mohammed from Dubai, he'd had a couple of lessons in a, on an inside slope, and went straight to a black run. And within minutes, was in the medical centre, needed
1: yeah. surgery. I, I have a feeling that's that's a Darwinism in action, isn't it? That one.
4: I think so. <laughs> I mean, it's not just skiers; it's it's the fact that you can use snow scooters and you know ski scooters, whatever. Get to, all these different ways of getting down a mountain now right. mean that you're not necessarily have to be an experienced snowboarder or skier For to sure. to get down. And and if you've got this other these other bits of kit that can get you up to eighty kilometers an hour, uh, and you haven't got the experience on the slopes, then you know you're going to end up in the medical center
1: yeah and and another thing you mentioned to me you know in relation to the program maybe something we can watch out for is the the influence of on of the weather on the type of injuries that people have you know in different days can lead to different injuries
4: yes so uh when we when we were out there we were covering a ski cross competition and on day one it was it was almost like a whiteout it was very very bad conditions and as the medical centre the doctors were telling us this is the this is the day you're more likely to get ACLs and strains you know people skiing through heavy mounds of snow in bad visibility and they they're pulling muscles and you know their knees are going out of joint whereas the following day it was beautiful weather blue skies right. The snow was hard and everyone was just going hell for leather. And that's when you get broken wrists and broken legs and head injuries because people are just going too quick.
1: Right. Well, you know, I've um, really enjoyed our conversation and I find it fascinating. It sounds like a great experience, but uh, the programme, um, remind people when it's on. It starts December the 9th
4: on UKTV, uh, W. Uh, eight o'clock and it's monday to friday for two weeks so it's 10 episodes across the two weeks right
1: okay well you know i'm uh, really looking forward to it thanks very much for your uh, time sean and i uh, look forward to watching ski a and e uh, when it's on thanks ian.
0: so based on that interview Ian, i want to know how fast have you ever skied ian martin
1: <laughs> i have no idea i've never i'm not really that interested in that sort of thing um i don't know i've never done it either yeah, I've don't... only
0: just discovered Strava since the end of last season. I mean, I'm tempted to have one go. I,
1: I do. I, I mean, I have done the stuff on Strava, but I can't remember what the fastest, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've been. You know, I, I think it's probably a bit, you yeah, know, people who kind of get back at the end of the day into the chalet and go, oh, yeah, I skied. Um... I don't know how many, I don't even know what a big day of skiing is how many kilometers it is I skied about
0: 25 like kilometers yeah. and I went down the blue run that was so good and then there was a man on the corner he we're alienating quite a lot of our listeners I hope
1: we're not alienating thing. our uh, listeners uh, you know you to have a bit of fun about you know I don't know what a big day skiing is and I don't know what a really fast uh, speed is or what I've done all I know is that um, if you're spending your whole time on your phone then you're probably not really enjoying it properly
0: I kind of I try to combine working um, on my phone, on chairlifts, while skiing. Okay. But that's just so I can ski a bit more. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, take a few photos. So where can we
1: watch this? Oh, it's yeah. going to be on, on, on W Channel, uh, which I've checked mm-hmm. on my uh, telly. And you can get it on Freeview. Uh, so W Channel, get it on HD if you can. Uh, Monday, 9th of December, Monday to Friday, 8pm and the following week as well. I think it's going to be really good. I can't wait to see... You know, the rescue dogs digging people out of the snow, you know, should be pretty good. Some helicopter action, some blasting action, you know, all of those things, you know, sound good. Maybe it will be, you know, extremely sensationalized. Uh, probably. I don't know. They, they, uh, they were inspired by a TV program called Follow the, Am- <laughs> Follow the Ambulance. So who knows? But, I, you know, it's in, it's in our um, environment, our milieu. So, uh, you know, it should be pretty interesting.
0: I will do my best to tune in or try and at least watch it on YouTube later on. Right, um, Ian, you may remember a while ago that I spoke to a gent named John Sherwood. He was very concerned about his local ski resort uh, near Washington. It was called Timberline Ski Resort. Um, the owner had run it into the ground financially. It was in corruption and scandal. And when we spoke to John last, he wasn't very optimistic for its future. But, Ian... There is a shining light. There's some good news. And John has dropped this uh, dropped this report over
2: to us. Hi, Jim. It's John Sherwood from DCSki.com. I just wanted to update you on what's going on with Timberline Four Seasons Resort. Timberline, I'm happy to announce, was purchased by Perfect North Slopes, which is a family-owned Indiana-based ski, ski resort. It is a small resort with only 400 Uh, with only a 400-foot vertical, but it's extremely well-run. It has tremendous infrastructure, 250 snow guns, uh, and a family committed to running uh, small ski resorts, and a family that has deep pockets and owns a variety of other businesses in Indiana. The plan, uh, as outlined by the owner of Perfect North Slopes, Chip Perfect, is to get Timberline up and running for the 2020-2021 season. He is a bit vague on what the company plans to do, but he's, he has announced that there will be some significant infrastructure improvements uh, which are required to get Timberline up and running. I think this is probably the best possible outcome, for the resort. It is no guarantee that in a few years the resort might be flipped and sold to either Vail or Altera, but for all the people who ski and who have properties on Timberline, it is it, it essentially means that we will have skiing again, not this season, but next season. And I think we're going to have some pretty good skiing from Thanksgiving all the way through mid-April, so people from people who visit Washington from Europe from London, uh, please keep Timberline in mind uh, during your travels. Thank you.
0: So no skiing for John in his favorite resort this year, but the future is bright um, for him, which is good for him. Ian and I think you know. I think where this comes into a human interest story for me is that can you first world problems, um, but can you imagine owning a property in a ski resort that then suddenly says we're not we're not operating this year, we're closing. I mean that would be heartbreaking, wouldn't it?
1: You'd be pretty disappointed about it for sure. Yeah, if you did, if you kind of uh had that in mind. But you know, I think possibly that's something that will will happen. I mean, there will be ski resorts that uh, ultimately are unable to offer skiing because it's not economically viable. Due to global warming, uh, climate uh, change, and there are already ski resorts like that.
0: Can you think of one um, in the Alps that's closed recently?
1: Not recently, no. I did. I of. shared a link a little while ago. I'll stick it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, and if be, if listener you, you want to listen to the original uh, interview Jim did, uh, it was in episode thirty-eight about Timberline.
0: Our most listened to
1: episode, Ian. Aha. Our most listened to episode, that is a very good point. Um, we also had a feature about blind skiing In that, how you can, you know, if you're blind, how you yeah. can go about skiing. What, I can't remember what else was in it. What's, what's drawing people to it apart from your excellent interview skills?
0: Um, there was that and I spoke to someone else. It was a good episode, Ian. So oh,
1: heli-skiing in Iceland as well. That's probably, oh, yeah. yeah, that's, that's the, the, the money shot in, in audio.
0: <laughs> Try not to imagine that. You are listening to the Ski Podcast in association with Switzerland Tourism. Um, still to come in today's show, we will be talking about our dream jobs, or finding out a dream job in the Alps. Um, we're going to be talking to Shemi Olcott, and we'll be going back to our book review. And there's uh, also another review about our review that we've already had. So still lots to come. Stay tuned.
1: So normally I, um, I try and be a bit resistant to marketing guff that you get uh, sent out, but I saw this the other day and I've got to mention it because it's really good, uh, Ski Bro, I don't know if you know them, it's a, it's a website where you can book ski lessons. Uh, but what appealed to me was they were doing one of these dream job things. And it just, it, it sounds great and therefore I'm quite willing to uh, kind of share it. How do you fancy this, Jim? Uh, they're offering a dream job all you uh, have to do is to go out to a ski resort and take some ski lessons. Uh, and then you have to share about it on social media. And you'll get paid £600. And uh, all of your uh, you know, accommodation and flights and everything will be included. So do you fancy that job?
0: I do quite like the sound of that. What's the catch?
1: Well, I don't think there is a catch. You just have to get them to choose you. Uh, there's going to be a videographer who will follow you. Um, but you have to um, take ski lessons during the day, enjoy yourself at night, and update your social media followers. So, I presume you're an influencer. You've you've got you know a lot of uh, followers. Oh,
0: I've got about uh, one thousand two hundred and twenty-four followers on my Instagram at the Average Skier. Is that enough, do you think? That's good enough to persuade I, them?
1: I, I don't know. You've got good chat. But if you if you go to skibro, uh, com, there's a form there that you can fill out. You know, you've know, you got the option to kind of sign up for their newsletter. Maybe that's why they're uh, doing it. But someone is going to get this job where you just you know get, get to go out to ski resort, uh, try some lessons and get paid uh, to ski. So, um, well... Are you uh, going to apply, Ian? I'm not going to apply because I've got a job and I'm... Yeah, don't. Probably... Don't think you need ski lessons. <laughs> is that no, what you're saying, Ian? You're too good. No. You're too good. <coughs> to do I'd this rather stuff. have free free skiing time or go out with a guide. Yeah, I think you can put guides to them as well. But I'll stick the link in the show notes if anyone, uh, if listener, you want to kind of apply for that.
0: I think it's not quite my dream job. I'd probably rather be an explorer or an adventurer. But it's not really a job anymore, is it? Uh,
1: yeah, um, you get professional it... people like Ranalf Fines. Um, I I understand that you know I think I mentioned in what two episodes ago at the ski show that he had a really big uh, audience listening to him but it's just as well because I understand he charges quite a lot for his presence so you can be well, i think a, he know, does it's, it's the adventure. only
0: time in his life he's made money if you look at the amount of money that he had to raise and put into any of his adventures like the one where he went um he did the globe didn't he He went all the way circumnavitated the globe um without um flying i think that was the one and so when he was across the north pole he got across halfway across the north pole and run out of ice And had to spend like a week just sleeping on one iceberg being, you know, um, sneaked up by a polar bear um, (laughs) while his wife tried to raise money to get a boat to rescue him. So, you know, I think he's due his money.
1: That does ring a bell, actually. Yeah. Okay. No, I agree. I think he's uh, he's 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 due his money. But my point is you can be a professional, a professional adventurer. So don't rule it out, Jim.
0: Okay, I'll cash in when I'm later uh, older get those tours going let's hear about from someone really famous who have you been talking to in
1: uh chemi alcott uh presenter on uh, ski sunday ex olympic uh, racer she skied last season and um, very shortly after giving birth to uh, her second uh, child and i just uh, i interviewed her about you know how you get back in shape again, how you get to go out skiing quickly you know, after you have had uh, a baby, if actually you listen it, you'll probably find it yeah. very interesting. OK, hi, I'm, I'm here at the London Ski Show, or Ski Festival, I think it's called these days, uh, with Chemi Alcott. Now, we spoke this time last year, and at the time, yep. I think you were six months uh, pregnant.
5: Yes, I was but massive, <laughs> wasn't I? <Got> a <laughs> year but not, quickly.
1: not very long after that, um, you were uh, uh, heli-skiing yep. uh, in a lanyard with, yep, with yep. James Orr. How on earth do you do that? And what advice could you offer to you know new mums who are uh, wanting to get back on the slopes again?
5: Um, I think f- firstly I have to just say hands up. I had a really easy pregnancy. I had a really easy labour. I didn't have any complications. So the fact that I could ski three weeks after birth, um, after Cooper was here, was you know something that I was really fortunate to do. Um, I needed to do it because my work started in the winter. I got to go to World Champs. I was in an Ore and. Um, I felt really comfortable with skiing. The heli-skiing was really, really fun because that's kind of... It's quite comfortable with me doing things on the snow, but heli-skiing is still a massive excitement for me because it's something quite foreign. I've only done it a few times, and that was really, really fun. I did actually... when We were in the tiny helicopters, and it was quite windy that day, and I remember going up, and I, I lost my stomach and uterus back there and thinking, oh, my God, I've just <laughs> had a baby. That was quite a big wake-up call for me going, oh, I've just had a baby, that's why I feel all... <laughs> all kind of strange um but it was great because there were so many women on that trip as well yeah um and i think it's really empowering for us to see that women are out there pushing their limits as well we talked about that quite a lot last yeah. year
2: um
5: and the load signed up for that trip so it was really great to be amongst them and you know they they were just like oh my gosh you just had a baby and they understand it a lot more than the men. Yeah. Um and just but- in,
1: in general for someone you know for Somebody who's just had a child. Yeah. Have you got any tips for them for coming back into skiing yeah. after that?
5: I just think it's really important. A lot of women um, and mothers, new mums, don't take those first steps. so They stop living their passions. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you're a female and you're into skiing, the tendency is you have a child and you either forget about your passions and start living through your kids and supporting your kids and what their family needs. But it's really easy to do a couple of runs for you as well so you know you have an environment on the ski slopes where first of all you can share it with your children that amazing experience for the first ski holiday all together but also your husband's there as well he can have the kids and you can go for a rip for a couple of runs um, but maybe baby steps for me it was really great to to do my first turns alone no one was watching me um, I could take my own pace yeah. Uh, I didn't try and over push myself. I I do have a big ego when I ski and it was really nice to strip that ego back and have an excuse. I was like, right, I just had a baby, I shouldn't be able to ski and then I took all the pressure off. So it was yeah. actually really enjoyable.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Now, how long what how, how how long <coughs> was it after you had a baby in before you went skiing?
1: <coughs> years. Um yeah, years. Uh no, went, really? Yeah. I went out I went out uh quickly, but short trips. Now my children are older. I can uh I can go a bit more often and ski with them, or are you talking specifically about me having a child? No, no, We're just asking. Yeah, exactly. It's a joy skiing with the kids. I, I think I... It
0: took us it took us four years to go um, skiing as a family, but yeah. other than that, I, yeah, I think I I think I went the year my first child was born, but then again, I don't have the I don't have the physical, <laughs> the physical imp. Um, uh, thing of giving birth and then having to get back in shape to go skiing. It, it was a bit more straightforward for us men, really, I suppose, Ian.
1: For, for sure. That's the point, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, Chemi Alcock we've interviewed her a bunch of times before. If you want to hear some more uh, chat with uh, Chemi uh, back in episodes 24 and 25 and 42, I think. And plus, um, we have also just posted uh, something on uh, JT Ski. Um, an interview uh, with her that we featured already so you can have a look at that on there as well
2: Winner
0: have we got any reviews must be time for reviews
1: it is time for reviews I don't know if you think this is a review or Woo-hoo. not but um, <clears throat> you know we had where, where, did, we had, where, did he,
0: where was it reviewed
1: uh, Facebook we had a, a two star review on? in the previous uh, episode but um, Dave Moore commented and said uh, I love the way you and Jim took the two star in your stride uh, sure, as you say, not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And the tone with which you both seem to look forward to a bad review makes it all the better. Now, I have to take exception with Dave Moore here. Personally, I don't look forward to a bad review. What about you?
0: Um, I, I'm not bothered. I don't mind a bad review. It can only make you better, can't it? But imagine, right? Imagine if we had only two star reviews and then one five star review. That would be good, wouldn't it?
1: I'd rather, no, I'd rather, I'd rather have it the other I way I think I around. probably would
0: have given up if it was just letter two...
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, listen We'd have given up, wouldn't we? Listener, if you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a review uh, wherever you uh, download your podcast or iTunes uh, because apparently that helps uh, a lot of people find us. Also, just want to do a quick shout-out to AP Northfields on uh, Twitter. We've had some nice uh, contact there, and I want to wish you all the best. Uh, I know you're travelling out by train to the Alps this winter, so I'd be interested to hear how that goes.
0: Hi. <laughs> Don't know who they are. Now, Jim, thanks. I believe e. we've been
1: we've done book group, ski uh, podcast book group, ski oh. book group quite a few times. We haven't done it for a while. There was a little discussion about what to get, but I believe you've got a suggestion for us.
0: No, I haven't got a suggestion. I I'm not going to suggest that, but we will talk about it. Okay. That's fine. Um but Ian, first of all, like we did talk about it. We we were gonna do um Eddie the Eagles um autobiography and you said you could only find it for a hundred pounds you could have read the e-book why why do you refuse to read ebooks, ian
1: this is just not my way of doing things and i don't have how, how would i read i don't have an ipad or anything so i can't read it on my phone you, can, down, you can
0: download and you can download a reader onto your phone
1: yeah no i don't want to read a book on my phone uh, it's but it'd be a name. new
0: experience you could try it once mm, for this particular book yeah you're keen to read it Ian.
1: yeah i'm keen to keen to uh, read it I'll, I'll keep touring the uh, secondhand shops of uh, brighton till i uh, find a, a copy of it but um yeah you know i prefer yeah you know, real books i prefer
0: a real book Ian, and i've probably read about three um three books on a um kindle um, I don't enjoy it as much, but sometimes it's necessary. Um, that's all I'm saying, if you want to do that. But anyway, um, if the other option here, Ian, is um, Skiing with Demons Part 3. I mean, I didn't read Skiing with Demons Part 2. We read Skiing with Demons Part 1, I think in our, one of our first book reviews. And then Chris Tomlinson, um, the author, came on to defend wow. um, your claims of sexism. Yeah, um, misogyny, so this is This is Part 3. <laughs>
1: Wow, he's got three three want... of these books out. That's amazing. Yep. Um, amazing. Right. Okay, no, I thought I was getting this confused with the Doug Coombs book. Um, I don't know. I didn't really enjoy the first one, so I'm probably going to have to say no on I don't this. Do you think you read it, Ian? <laughs>
0: Are you sure? I'm going to refuse to read the third book because <laughs> I didn't read the first book. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. He was really cross because you didn't read it and then chose to review it anyway. And right. just said, oh, I read on the Times that he was a sexist. Uh, so he li- came on the show and defended himself. Yeah. Um, no, he, gonna... he
1: did. I'll, have to, I'll put a link in the show next to what episode that was. A l- listener, you must know a good book uh, about skiing. You know, Recommend it to us and then we'll read it.
0: I just want to say Ian, that I really enjoyed it. I've read the whole of the inner skier, I know you refuse to read that one as well. <laughs> but I really have enjoyed it. Mentally, I already feel like I'm a better skier. It's 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 the battle between self won, the part of your brain that tells you, you can't achieve and what you can what you should be doing against relaxing and feeling part of the ski experience as the self too of your brain so it's really about you know detaching those two things and becoming better by trusting your instincts and you know i've read the book and There's lots of it I've taken away and I actually already put into practice just in real life. They've written, um, it comes from the Inner Sportsman uh, and the original book. um, There was also the Inner Tennis Player, which lots of professional tennis players um, have read and done. And there's also the Inner Musician as well. It's about knowledge versus feeling and understanding. It's a really interesting read and it gives you loads of great examples. Um, They set up a ski school that um, uses this inner skiing technique and you know I've noticed um, that when I ski with Dave Burrows and he teaches me to ski he uses a lot of these techniques and it really works for me personally so you know I think it's a really good book and I genuinely believe it would make anyone a better person or even a better skier so you know it's a good review Ian and I suggest you should read it
1: okay that's a that's a big a big claim there jim so you're saying not just a better skier it makes you a better person reading the book
3: yeah
0: there's loads of good stuff to take from it it's it's an interesting read it's not i wouldn't brush it under the carpet it's not like a self-help book it's okay. um, interesting
1: well i think that's a, an excellent review and uh if uh, our listeners you know want to get a a good book then uh, inner skiing who's it by again uh, yeah, that guy who wrote it. Okay, is it, is it, is it <laughs> Timothy Galway? I'll send you a link. Timothy Galway and Robert Krieger. I'll, I'll stick it in the show notes. But um, that sounds like a very good book. I'm more interested in their kind of, I don't know, some kind of uh, novel. I know you don't like, um, what's that one? A you should pranks?
0: try Skiing with Demons uh, Part 3 then. Yeah. <laughs> two
1: Planks a and a Passion. Do you want to try that?
0: I've read that. Two Planks and a Passion. I told you I refused to read that one. Yeah.
1: What's the problem with Where that I one? started
0: it. It's uh, is it by Roland um Roland Huntsford, I could, believe. Could be. I, mean, I started reading it. He wrote he wrote some fantastic biographies of um, Ernest Shackleton, um Ronald Armundsen and um Robert Falcon Scott and they were absolutely brilliant, fantastic, like Two thousand page tombs and I devoured them. Then I read this passion's t- tomb, and it was the worst book I right. ever read. I stopped reading it.
1: Yeah. It so so we're not gonna we're we're not gonna be reading that. I'm not gonna make you read a book again that you uh, dislike with a passion. Um, yeah. Something something will crop up. Um,
0: Someone will recommend something.
1: Yeah. Now moving on from book club, do you want to talk about ski club?
0: oh is it like fight club
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you might specifically... oh you mean the ski club yeah. the ski
0: club of great britain is that what you're talking yeah. about Yeah.
1: what's the uh first rule of the ski club of great britain's accounts
0: um don't talk about the ski club of great britain's account that is the first rule of it yeah. but they have though haven't they
1: <laughs> well a few people are talking about it mainly because um they made a loss of eight hundred and forty thousand pounds in their uh Uh, most recent published accounts which is quite a lot of
0: money It is quite a lot of money Um, I've noticed that you know where where's they get their money from? There are lots of different places I suppose The primary one has got to be um, uh, people going into the ski club and becoming members They've got to like 24,000 members now which has been declining about 1,500 a year but the average price of a membership is £70 so you know that's like £1.5 million right there Yep. What are they doing with this money, Ian?
1: Well, I, I'm not sure. They we can, employ a lot of people, we don't they? No, oh, they employ slightly fewer than they used to. I would, uh, I would suggest. But um, you know, if if you're a non-profit making business a not not for profit business, <laughs> then it's easy to not make a profit. Perhaps you might uh, suggest. But um, God knows how they did it all. One, there's one massive bit I noticed. They wrote off. Three hundred and forty two thousand seven hundred and forty six pounds investment in the website so let's just call Whoa. it let's just call it three hundred and fifty thousand pounds. What website do you spend three hundred and fifty thousand pounds on i've i've been in digital marketing for a, a while now and uh wow, imagine having a budget of three hundred and fifty thousand pounds to spend on your website
0: that's insane and like there must be some Seriously decent content that they're hiding away. I mean, what would it do?
1: It'd take you that to the Alps, presumably, uh, on several holidays. I mean, maybe they. I, I don't. You know, it, it, I can't conceive how you can spend that much money on on a ski website without, yeah, being able to ski. So that you know, that was a massive part of it. You know that, but even that only accounts for. You know, less than half of uh, of this loss. Um, You know, they they do um, like a guiding service. Um, I can't remember what they're called. Leaders, ski leaders, aren't they? So the ski the ski leader program made a loss of two hundred thousand. I mean, uh, how does that happen? I mean, I don't know how you make yeah, a profit on that, but two hundred thousand. I mean, everything made a loss. The magazine made a loss of one hundred forty four thousand. Uh the Fresh Tracks holidays, which is a tour operator department, made a loss of two hundred thousand. Uh yeah, you know, um they had they do have a new um is it CEO who's just uh, uh taken over, a chap called uh, Ian Holt, uh, chief executive, yeah, so um he only um, joined in July, but the catch there is that he was the treasurer prior to that. So um, he probably... He uh, doesn't just come in cold. Yeah. I mean, you think maybe is it a general
0: decline in the uh, the need to be members of things? You know, part of this is you get discounts on stuff, but you can already get discounts. You know, um, you can get your insurance through that, but, you know, you can still get online insurance pretty cheap. I think, you know, I mean, still, 24,000 people is a lot of people to subscribe, isn't it? That's a, a still a, a fairly hefty chunk of people. But are they being looked after properly? I'd, I don't know. It's weird. I've never I've never joined a club like that. And so I find it hard to imagine why you would do it. But then, Ian, I feel like I should stop talking, because as you look at all their main sponsors and partners, there's a, there's a good amount of them that we also work with quite closely. So excellent, the ski club, I think.
1: Um, well, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's I don't think there's any any kind of you know relevance there if they do have a whole bunch of uh, partners uh, you know who we have or other people have in the industry they obviously didn't charge them enough money, um or they had really you know bad deals because uh, you know you're looking at a business who's just been run extremely badly every element of it is every element of it has is, has is, is lost money and if you got twenty four thousand people who've paid you money to become a member in the first place you would have thought you'd have like a, a budget and you'd be able, to, let's say you made, you know, 10 pounds off every one of those members through um associated, uh, you know, income, then you'd be making a nice tidy profit, wouldn't you?
0: I mean, when I look at what you get for, I just don't see any, I don't see the benefit why I would join. I just don't, I don't understand it. Well, I think that's always been my problem with the ski club. Just, there's nothing there that I would necessarily go, that is what I need
1: yeah but that's why their numbers uh keep dropping and i guess but who knows i don't know that the full answer and maybe we'll find out more in in due course but um
0: do you know what? i did put this question to someone i met from the ski club uh, yeah. um, listex uh, a, a year ago and um, she chose she said that i said you know i'd like to talk about the relevant you know what's the the relevance of the ski club in this modern age and she said oh it's still very relevant um and didn't really want to expand on that Um, I did invite her onto the podcast um, a year or so ago to, you know, talk about the ski club but they chose not to.
1: Right. Okay. well, maybe we'll try again to get someone on on, on board. Um, Talking of um, future episodes, I'm hoping to have an interview uh, uh, about White Lines magazine, the snowboarding magazine. Uh, So hopefully that'll, uh, you know, um, appease the guy who says we don't have enough shred. Um, And that will hopefully be in the next episode.
0: Um, i'm going to be talking to someone about um sweating
1: <laughs> <laughs> right how does that um, work while
0: skiing and how you can rehydrate and keep yourself uh, we're going to talk about oh, i'm a salty sweater um so we're going to talk about how we can hydrate ourselves better um, on the slopes i think that's a useful thing to find out okay i look um, forward
1: to,
0: to that I, and not only when i'm about to run what i'll be talking about skiing i'm going to try and make some other content as well
1: yeah, and I've got a feeling that actually the next time we do uh, record, I will have skied as well, hopefully. So, um, you know, we can Ooh, talk where are you going? Uh, Valdezère and Les Arc on a... Uh, Ooh. By, by train. By train, are you flying? Yes. Uh, so, you know, there'll be that experience as well. Um, and thinking about travelling to the Alps. by
0: train or... and then you're ke- you're driving up the hill in a supercar, is that right?
1: <laughs> no, but talking about driving in the Alps, I'm also hoping to get an just in- on your own in a bus. An interview about um, driving to the Alps in an an electric car in a Tesla, but we'll see if that uh, if that interview comes off. Maybe we'll be able to include that in the next episode as well. So lots to look forward to.
0: That would just be a story of a man stood around at a charging point quite a lot, wouldn't it?
1: Mm, don't think so. I think we, you know, with a Tesla, you have got thirty minutes. You can get an eighty percent charge into the vehicle on one of the supercharging points.
0: I would. Um, I'd spend myself very stressed. I'm the, I'm the epitome of the sort of person that runs their petrol tank dry okay. to the very last point where I just I go. I go for one more petrol station. So I probably could. I I'd quite enjoy trying an electric car. It's an extreme way of doing it. Right. Anyway, that was a, a ramble that was the podcast thanks ian um for all that insight that you always bring to the show and thank you listener for listening don't forget you can um subscribe don't forget to subscribe that's the big message isn't it
1: yeah exactly and enjoy your skiing jim
0: oh thanks you too ian take care all right bye podcast with Ian Martin and Jim Duncan. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button now.